I will please grab your Bible and open up to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 is where we find ourselves this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verses um, 18 to 34. Continuing on uh, in our series, Kingdom Authority, beholding and responding in faith uh, to the authority of Jesus that we see displayed uh, on the pages of Scripture. And just as you turn there, um, there's been lots of things happening in the news the last little while, but it's probably been hard to miss in the last week or two the announcement that King Charles um, has cancer. Uh, I know it's something that many of us here will have or um, uh, will maybe be in the future either directly or indirectly affected by. Few things in life can feel more impossible, despairing or maybe desperate than the cancer diagnosis. In our verses this morning, as we'll see in a moment, we are encountering here a number of seemingly impossible, desperate situations. Disability, demonic oppression, and the most desperate of all, death itself. The question in this series then is, does Jesus' authority stretch even, even to death itself? Can Jesus do anything about those seemingly impossible desperate situations that we encounter in our lives? What hope is there for us in Jesus? And importantly, as he calls us to hear, how will we respond in those circumstances? How will we respond to him in those most desperate and seemingly impossible of circumstances? Will we respond, as this passage presents us with, with either faith or unbelief? So two big choices before us this morning. If you're a Christian here this morning and your faith is already in Jesus, you know that doesn't make us immune from those impossible and seemingly desperate situations. You've lived long enough, you know that that doesn't make us immune from those seemingly desperate and impossible situations this side of eternity. These verses are here to remind you this morning of the, the hope that you have in Jesus, that there is hope in those moments. These verses, these encounters are here to strengthen your, your faith, to assure your doubts, to relieve your fears, and to remind you that Jesus is worthy of your humble, sincere faith. They're here to assure us that our faith is in a God, our faith is in a God who is able to work even in those most impossible and desperate of situations. Perhaps you're not a Christian here this morning, or you're figuring out faith, you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. Perhaps you're maybe even cynical about that this morning. Maybe before you this morning is these encounters and you think, well, this is a bit of a laugh. This is a bit of a joke. This isn't really true. But in these encounters this morning, we see undeniable evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that this is no laughing matter. Jesus cannot be explained away. The warning then for you is to not respond in unbelief. But the invitation, the gracious invitation, is to put your hope and faith in the one who has authority and provides hope in amongst these most desperate of situations. So the response here that's called of us this morning as we encounter Jesus in these verses is to place our faith in Jesus who has authority even to death. Place your faith in Jesus whose authority extends even to death. 
Let's read the text together. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 34. Hear God speak. While he, that is Jesus, was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Now let's just pray for a moment as we come to consider these things. Father, I pray that in these moments we would be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Father, that you would help us to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and in this moment receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Father, give us that humility. Help us to come before you, trembling, expectant, and joyful at what these things would do in our lives and help us as we leave here to not just hear these things but to obey them and to be doers of the word in jesus name we pray amen men so first thing we see together in these verses then is this choose faith in jesus in the face of the impossible in verses 18 to 34 then as you've heard read we encounter these uh, a number of, of seemingly impossible situations desperate situations situations we've not quite encountered on the same scale as we have in Matthew before. Uh, these situations are firstly verses 18, and the most desperate of all, death. A man, a ruler whose daughter has died, he's likely and understandably devastated. He's broken. Seems like there's nothing that can be done. Then we encounter as well, verse 20, a chronic illness. A woman who has had a bleed for 12 years years in the gospel of mark in parallel account sheds light on the fact that this woman had suffered much under many physicians she'd gone to lots of different people she couldn't find any help she'd spent all that she had trying to do that and she was no better off for it but mark tells us she actually grew worse things keep getting more desperate then we encounter blindness in verse 27 to men who are blind 
And something which the Bible reveals to us is that until the coming of Jesus, there are no biblical instances of blind people having their sight restored. So blindness was a desperate situation. And then in verse 32, we encounter a man who is mute. His situation is desperate because he is demon-oppressed. But in these seemingly desperate, even impossible circumstances, these people place their faith in Jesus. Consider their faith. First of all, consider what they have in common. They all come to Jesus. In their desperate situations, they all come to him. Yes, Jesus primarily seeks us out in coming into this world. Yes, he comes and finds us. But there's a very much a sense in which faith must stretch out his hands to receive him. Saving faith takes hold of him, his promises. It embraces him, it looks to him, it comes to him, it draws near to him, knowing that he is able. The historic confessions of our faith say this about saving faith. Saving faith is accepting, receiving, and resting upon Jesus alone for our justification, our sanctification, and eternal life. Yes, he seeks us out in coming into this world, but we must come to him, and we come to him with empty hands to receive him. In that act of coming to him, we are simultaneously turning from our sin and our self-reliance in those impossible situations, and we're coming to him and saying, I need you. I trust you. We take hold of him by faith. Consider how that faith is particularly expressed here in these different people, particularly in the ruler and in the woman with the bleed and in the blind men. Firstly, the ruler, look how his faith expresses itself. He knelt. His physical posture expresses his humility and the authority of Christ. Is that how we approach Jesus? He shows us that true faith is a God-fearing, humble faith. In verse 18, we also see that he says, come lay your hand on her and she will live. He believes. His daughter is dead and yet he believes Jesus can raise her. True faith believes Christ is who he says he is and is able. Look at the woman with a bleed. She's been plagued with this chronic illness for 12 years with no sign of it improving and actually it's getting worse. She believes that Jesus can heal her. Verse 21, if only I touch his garment, I will, the same words as the ruler, I will be made well. Here again we see faith, humble, believing faith. And then this woman, this woman with a bleed, we see that faith expressed in a sincere, simple, and utterly dependent manner. He stretches out just to touch his cloak. J.C. Ryle says of this woman's faith, it'll be up on the screen for you. He says, let us store up in our minds this history. Let us store this encounter of this woman with Jesus in our hearts and our minds. He says, it may perhaps help us mightily in some hour of need. Our faith may be feeble. Our courage may be small. Our grasp of the gospel and its promises may be weak and trembling. But after all, the grand question is, do we really trust only in Christ? Do we look to Jesus and only to Jesus for pardon and peace? If this be so, it is well. If we may not touch his garment, which is not possible for us, of course, because Jesus has physically ascended, 
we can touch his heart. We can still embrace him by faith. Such faith saves his soul. It's important, though, he notes, weak faith is less comfortable than strong faith. And we know that from experience, don't we? Weak faith is still faith, but it's less comfortable than strong faith. Weak faith will carry us to heaven with far less joy than full assurance. But weak faith gives an interest in Christ as surely as strong faith. He that only touches the hem of Christ's garment shall never perish. Her faith is to be commended. Yes, it's weak, but it's humble, sincere, dependent, and she knows the one in whom she's placing her faith in. We see the ruler's faith, we see the woman with the bleed, and also we see the, the blind men. They cry aloud, they say, have mercy on a son of David. They ask for mercy. They ask Jesus to help them. They ask for him to take pity on them. They rightly identify him by faith as the son of David. The Messiah, God's long-awaited king. And do, do you notice how Jesus draws out their faith more explicitly? He asks them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They respond in faith with, yes, Lord, we do believe. As I mentioned at the beginning, the, the blind receiving sight was something that was unheard of really until the coming of Jesus. One commentator says this, that the giving of sight is a divine activity and it has messianic significance. So the fact that this has never been done before and Jesus is not able to do it shows that Jesus is God in the flesh. Only God can give sight to the blind. Isaiah 35 promises or foreshadows Jesus when it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isn't that what he's doing here? Here then we see not just in the blind receiving sight, but in these other miracles that Jesus is truly God and that he is the promised Messiah. He has authority. Consider the wider context of those verses in Isaiah. What is that meant to do in the heart of the Christian, in the heart of the believer? What is the healing of uh, the, the woman with a bleed, the, the, the raising of the, the dead daughter, or the, the, the sight being given to the blind and the speech being given to me? What is it meant to do or say to our doubt and our fear? Isaiah 35 tells us, strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Does that describe you this morning? Weak, feeble knees. Anxious, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come and he will save you. He's done that in Jesus. Faith doesn't need to be weak. These encounters are here to show us the God we believe in, the Christ that we've come to and our faith is placed in. And isn't it ironic that the two men who couldn't see physically were the two men who could see clearly spiritually? unlike those who rejected Jesus, as we'll consider in a moment. The two men who couldn't see a thing, physically speaking, were clearly able to see Jesus spiritually. Were clearly able to behold him by faith. May the Lord give the eyes of our hearts the ability to see and believe in Jesus like these men. Here too we're encouraged, and in some ways it's a side note, but it's not an insignificant one. Here too we're encouraged that God can generate faith even in those who are physically impaired. 
They couldn't see, but they could still believe. And then in verse 30, if you look down, Jesus sternly, okay, not just kind of as a side note, Jesus sternly warns them to tell no one. Why does he do that? Well, he does that to avoid any kind of misunderstanding about who he is. Many people thought the Messiah was going to be some kind of governmental militaristic figure who would um, establish his earthly kingdom. And so he didn't want them to misunderstand who he was, or he didn't want to avoid gathering a crowd who were more interested in a show than in faith. So he tells them not to go and tell anyone. And though these men show great faith, their faith, though, is followed by imperfect obedience. They disobey Jesus. It may have seemed like a good thing to do in disobeying him, but they disobeyed what he asked of them. Two things. Here is a reminder that obedience must follow faith. Obedience must follow faith. We must listen to and obey Jesus' commands. We can't just do what we want. But here we are reminded that imperfect obedience doesn't nullify faith. As long as we continue to daily repent and seek forgiveness in Jesus' name. So consider their faith, but also consider, of course, Jesus' compassionate authority. Look at his compassion. Even in his actions, he touches. He took the, the daughter's hand, didn't he? In those days, dead people were considered unclean, but he touches her hand in order to raise her. He touches the blind men's eyes. We know from previous verses or encounters that Jesus could just do all these things from a distance with a word, but he chooses to come near and to touch. He's compassionate in his actions, but he's also compassionate in his words. How does he address the, the, the woman with a bleed? Take heart, daughter. Take heart, daughter. He compassionately speaks to us. Consider his compassion, but also consider his authority and his power. He heals. He heals. The woman with a bleed is instantly made well, purely by the touch of his garment. The daughter, she, the, the girl rises simply by the touch of his hand. The, the blind man's eyes were opened and the mute man spoke. Jesus' authority here is displayed powerfully over sickness, blindness, muteness, demons, and even death itself. And in raising the ruler's daughter from the dead, Jesus provides us with the most powerful display of his divinity and authority. The main purpose here is to point forward to his own death, burial, and resurrection where death was defeated. He points forward to that final day, doesn't he? Where death will be finally destroyed. It will no longer sting us in the painful way we experience now. We will one day receive resurrection bodies. This is no isolated incident. This will be true of every a believer physically when Jesus returns and in one sense it's true of us spiritually we've been spiritually resurrected through faith in Christ a couple of questions maybe on your mind and they're questions uh, perhaps throughout all this uh, throughout this series that you've had in your mind um, firstly can we expect healing today in the same way we see here uh, well, we thought a little bit about this on week one of the series um, so if you um, want to think about that more uh, then go back and listen to that um, I recommended at that time a little book called Do Miracles Happen Today uh, by Tim Chester, which kind of will answer a lot of questions you maybe have around some of that and help us to approach that in a helpful uh, biblical way. Um, these encounters, though, given their primary purpose in revealing and confirming the identity of Christ and taken within the context of the whole New Testament, 
Do not promise a miracle for us simply if we have enough faith. Yes, God can do things, but these passages don't promise that a miracle will happen for us simply if we have enough faith. They do call us to a big trust in Jesus for his glory. They remind us of the one in whom we can place our faith in. The second question that's maybe going around your mind, what about demon possession and casting out demons? Um, well, we'll get to that question more specifically at the beginning of chapter 10. Um, just to point you in the way of a few resources to help you think through that as well. Um, in our doctrinal distinctives as a church, which you'll find on our website under what we believe, there's a short statement on spiritual warfare there, which might be helpful for you. Um, a couple of books to recommend to you. Did the Devil Make Me Do It by Mike McKinley is a really good starter for 10. Uh, if you're looking for a bit more of a deep dive, uh, then David Powelson has a book called Safe and Sound, um, Standing Firm in Spiritual Battles. Um, I know that's throwing a lot at you, but I know some of you might have questions or want to think more about that. Um, but the main point here is the response of faith that Jesus calls us to. So let me ask you this morning, are you facing a desperate or maybe seemingly impossible situation in your life? Perhaps you feel overwhelmed and have maybe even begun to distance yourself from Jesus and doubt him. The call here is to go to him. Go to him. He is compassionate and powerful. Kneel before him. Cling to his cloak. Go to him with your griefs and your pains, your needs. Faith moves towards Jesus and beholds his authority and glory. Yes, this side of eternity. God can still heal and work miracles, though that is not now our normative experience. Suffering is. It's a significant part suffering of the life of a Christian in this age. We are sharing in this age in the sufferings of Christ. But know that in and through death, suffering, disability, desperate and impossible situations, he is addressing a much more important situation than our physical health. He's addressing our faith. The thing that this passage really zeroes in on. In suffering and sickness, he is testing and refining our faith and preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. A glory that we get a glimpse of here. A glory that will one day be ours for all eternity. A glorious future will, where all those in Christ will be physically raised from the dead and all suffering and pain will cease. He's preparing us for that. He cares enough about us to refine and create that faith in us so that what we see here will be our normal experience in the age to come. And know that in the weakness of our faith, in our doubts, these encounters are here to strengthen our faith and preach to our doubts. Just a few chapters later in Matthew 11, John the Baptist himself, okay, the great John the Baptist in Matthew 11 has a little bit of doubt creeping in. Matthew 11, verses 2 to 6, he says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and and said to Jesus, so John's in prison, he's experiencing hardship. We could say maybe a desperate, seemingly impossible situation. Will I ever get out? He begins to doubt. He sends his disciples to Jesus and gets him to ask, are you the one who's to come? Remember, this is the one he pointed to. He declared the arrival of. Jesus said, are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for another? What does Jesus say to John's disciples? He says, go back to prison and tell him 
what you see and you hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He says to John, John, in your doubt and in your weakness of faith, know who I am, know what I am doing, and he says the same to us this morning. He is who he says he is. What about when others around us are in those desperate and impossible situations? How can we best help them? Well, verse 32, if you look down, and the, the mute man didn't make his own way to Jesus. He was brought by others. So when those around us are going through impossible, desperate situations, we move towards them with the compassion of Christ and we bring them to Jesus. We take them to Jesus through embodying the comfort of Christ through our presence, through feeding them scripture, through praying for them and with them, and by appropriately showing affection to them in the way that Jesus touches those he helps. We can hug one another. We can embrace one another. So go to Jesus. Keep going to Jesus. Even in the most desperate and impossible of situations. He is both powerful and compassionate. Confess that you are not able and glorify him by recognizing that he is. Do you believe I am able to do this? Let us respond in faith with yes, Lord. So first thing we see then is to choose faith in Jesus in the face of the impossible. Second thing is don't choose unbelief in the face of the undeniable. Look down again at verses 23 to 24. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making the commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And then verses 32 to 34, as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So we've seen the examples of faith. But then amongst that, we also see unbelief, particularly that of the Pharisees. We see, firstly, the, the laughing of the mourners in verses 23 to 24. It's more than a snigger or a smile, it's not nervous doubt. They are deriding him. They are mocking him. Presumably, like the ruler, they've heard about what Jesus is doing in and around Galilee. They have the same knowledge that, that he does. Yet, unlike the ruler, they choose unbelief rather than faith. Perhaps it's just because death for them was just too impossible. Yeah, maybe, maybe this guy can help me in the, you know, the, the small illnesses or the little bumps on the road. Yeah, I'm happy to go to him then. I'm happy to accredit faith to him then and that he's a great God then but ah, when it's impossible no it's laughable can't help me then maybe even as a Christian that's how we think Jesus can help me in the smaller challenges of life but when it comes to the big ones we choose to doubt him and maybe not just doubt him but deride him roll our eyes back and speak down to him or about him to others we need to repent of that and run to him for forgiveness Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. They weren't just laughing. They were mocking and deriding him. 
and God is not mocked. God cannot be mocked forever. If that characterizes how you think or speak about Jesus, be warned here soberly that what you reap, you will sow. Sorry, what you sow, you will reap. And let me speak to us as a church this morning that these verses assure us, in Galatians 6, assure us that we live in a world, yes, where God will often be laughed at and mocked, but God cares more about his reputation than we do and that he will do something about it, therefore we can leave vengeance to him. So we see the laughing and the mocking of the crowd and then we see the response of the Pharisees in verses 32 to 34. They witness Jesus cast out a demon the crowd around them uh, marvels at this, saying never was anything like this seen in Israel. So they are surrounded by people who don't deny what's just happened. Their, their reaction, the crowd confirms that what Jesus has done has happened. Yet still, even then, the Pharisees choose to respond in unbelief. Interesting, isn't it? In verse 34, if you look down, the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. They can't explain this away. They can't deny that it's just happened. The crowd's there. The crowd see it. The crowd know what's happened. They can't explain it away. Worse though is how they try to explain it away. They attribute Jesus' miracles to Satan himself. They call Jesus demonic. They call good evil. These encounters press before us that we must do something with Jesus. His miracles are undeniable. His identity has been confirmed. Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Not just in Israel, but in the world. Ever uh, since, the, before then or since then. We have two options this morning here. We can either place our faith in him leading to eternal life, or we can choose to mock him, laugh at him, and respond in unbelief leading to eternal death and hell. There's no middle road. It's either faith or unbelief. It's a decision we need to make urgently today no more evidence is needed we have all we need in order to put our faith in christ behold now is the favorable time now is the day of salvation we have all we need what's stopping you either unbelief or faith the commentator michael green says it is not the case as some people say that if only i've been there or if only he'd show me more evidence then I believe. No, there were plenty of people there who did not believe, although unimpeachable evidence was spread repeatedly before their eyes. We think that we need to see more or that we need more evidence or maybe people around us say that. We don't need any more evidence. It's all there. And even those who repeatedly saw him face to face and saw all these things in person, even they denied him. What's needed is not more evidence. What's needed now is to respond and to respond in faith. The Pharisees' response here as well in 32 to 34 is also a sober warning to us, even as Christians. And I mean that. A sober warning in that it's possible to do all the right religious things, to read our Bibles, to go to church, to even be theological experts, and yet have hard hearts towards Jesus. So often we think, don't we, that it's those who are most theologically mature, doctrinally discerning, most religiously observant that are the healthiest Christians, when in fact what we see here is that we have more reason 
to be confident in the faith of a woman who clings to Jesus' cloak, and two blind men who falter in their initial obedience to Jesus, than we do to have religious, theological maturity like that of the Pharisees. And as a church, these verses remind us on the eve of Jesus sending his disciples out, which is what we'll see in the next number of weeks, that we should expect responses characterized by laughing, mocking, and explaining Jesus away. People will respond in unbelief. Don't be shocked by that. Don't let that unsteady you. So, this morning, let me plead with you. Let me urge you to place your faith in Jesus, whose authority extends even to death. An authority that involved him willingly giving up his own life. We've seen that time and time again in these passages. How does he use his authority to heal, to compassionately touch? And ultimately we see him use his authority to give up his own life willingly to defeat death on the cross for our sins so that everyone who would turn to him in faith will be forgiven and granted eternal life. And we can have our faith increasingly strengthened by him even, even in those most desperate and impossible of situations by looking to the one in whom our faith is placed. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning um, as those who, whose faith is often weak and wayward, who often struggle in those most difficult of circumstances. Father, we thank you for these examples of faith that show us it's not ultimately about our faith, but the one in whom we place our faith. Father, I pray that you would use these examples, these humble, dependent sincere examples to show us what faith in you looks like and father that you would reassure us through your compassionate authority and power of who you are of all that we have in christ father as we prayed just a moment ago please as we leave here please increase our faith please give us strong faith not weak faith please help us to walk the christian life with strong faith so that we might rejoice in you In Jesus' name, amen.